a question that has always intrigued me since since I was very young was always this idea of are you actually able to see the situation for what it is? Or are you trying to prove and defend your value, your worth, your opinion, because somehow you feel threatened? And be- the the question behind this is really, are you the person in control? Are you the person in the driver's seat? Or are you somewhere in the back seat and your automatic responses are actually driving the car? My name is Justin. Welcome to Neuroresiliency this show that's obsessed with perception, perspective, how we align reality, and then actually how to move the needle on our fulfillment, on our potential. So today I'm talking to you about a theory that's near and dear to my heart. I call it the human operating system. The very simple point of the human operating system is that from zero to 10 years old, in developmental cognition, childhood cognition, we are all about, we are hardwired to find our parents' attention so that we can, number one, feel like we're safe, we're secure. And so because of that, we're hardwired to get attention. In exchange uh, for this attention, we get the feelings of safety, security. So we're always seeking safety, security, these, these types of needs being met, and we get it through attention, right? And so that's why kids are always desperate for their parents' attention. Look at me, look at me, look at what I can do. Look, look, no this, no hands, whatever. So the concept there is backed up by um, a lot of evolutionary psychology as well. The fact that we are programmed uh, as babies, for example, to cry when we feel we're alone, to cry when we have needs that aren't met until those needs are met, we will cry. Why? Not just because we're in pain, but because we want to get attention so that we can maximize our chances for survival. So the theory of hardwiring says that this is the first phase of hardwiring, a hardwired system. And so between the ages of zero to 10, we're hardwired looking for validation, safety, security. And so we will get into patterns of behavior that we find successful to achieve these things. These patterns of behavior really become neural networks that then become very um, insulated. They become very, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like well-used, I suppose is the best word to say. They, they become very well-used. They become very lubricated. And so they become very automatic. Remember the basic concept of all of the data that I've seen, the you know the experience that I've had as well. So this is, again, this is my approach, is that the brain is an automating machine. And so anything that you do, your brain is going to try and automate that thing more. So eventually you do it so much, it becomes something that you can do without even thinking. And that's ultimately what we want to get at when we're trying to learn a language or instill a new habit. It takes a lot of time and focus to be able to do it in the beginning, but we want to get to that place where it's automated. So again, from zero to 10, we've now automated these responses, these uh, behaviors that get us safety, security, validation. Then from the age of 10 up to approximately, I would say 15, 16, but all the way up to 25, we could establish a new one. But most of them we see from 10 to 15, new behaviors come in, um, but they they really um, get entrenched all the way up to age 25. And I'll tell you why. Approximately age 25 is where we start to get um, the executive manager of our brain kicks in, which is our ability to assess risk reward um, and so before that time, we will engage in much more risky behavior 
because we don't see the danger necessarily. We don't have that judgment protocol. We don't have the self-control available to us before approximately the age of 25. And as you notice, it's basically when we start puberty and when we end puberty, approximately 10 years old, approximately 25 years old, the beginning and ends of puberty, which marks the beginning and end of the second phase of hardwiring as well. And this hardwiring is all about peer validation. We're looking for safety security from our social groups, from our peers around us to be able to tell us that we are a valued member of the tribe. And so those needs are going to be with regard to acceptance, you know, and seeing how to get acceptance, um, which tribes we fit more naturally with and, and we can actually get acceptance with as well. And we start defining ourselves according to the social group around us. And it's after the age of 25 where we go out into the world with these automated default kind of hardwires, uh, hardwired um, nervous system responses. And basically, we live that out. Um, and for most part, most people can start to override this with other behaviors. But what we'll find is something very interesting. It's the idea that whenever we go uh, to a place where we're put under a lot of stress, for whatever reason it is, we start to default back to those hardwired situations under stress. So let's say you're under stress because your team is unhappy with you at work or something like that. You may find yourself defaulting back to a particular behavior that you had when you were like 13 years old, 15 years old. Like what the hell is going on that my brain is saying, oh, we're under stress. Let's whip out what gave us you know, a modicum of success, what we practiced when we were 15 years old. We could have had a lot more success if we had practiced something else, but we didn't have the control of, you know, the car, so to speak. So it's just this idea of what happens actually when we're under stress. Well, we go back to our hard wiring, but more to the point, so the hard wiring as well is then going to direct you at what you find valuable as an adult if you don't challenge those value systems. For example, as a child, if you go through um, believing that you need to show strength in your teenage years, like, oh, the stronger, the better, weakness is bad, etc. Um, then when you get to your adult life, um, you're not going to want to do anything that's connected with your weaknesses because you don't want to remind yourself that you are potentially weak, that there might be weakness in you. Um, and addressing that could be a very painful thing. And of course, this type of thing could cost you your business if it eventually gets down to it, you know, and definitely if you see weakness as a bad thing and strength as a good thing, then under stress, you're going to come out with more dominance and you're going to come out of, um, what could be a feedback session swinging and feeling like really aggressive and angry because someone's challenging you. And this, um, is exactly the reason why I use the Enneagram personality assessment, because I really want to know what is the, let's say, what is the inner critic, the core way that a person found they got their needs met when they were younger. That core way is going to tell me what do they value and as well, what are they going to do when they're under stress? Now, um, just a quick side note, the assessment that I use is not just as simple as finding one number. We actually find a fingerprint for the person to see how much they connect with each number. And from there, I, you know, my, one of my most successful readings, I actually told someone 
based on your reading, I'm going to make a guess at what your kitchen looks like, what it's, um, you know, what it's, what you've got in storage, uh, what your garage looks like. And I made those predictions and the person was like, holy cow, that was a hundred percent on the money. And the very simple point was because, um, his core type was connected with that. And then also the other types and how, you know, how they all kind of created an individual unique map of the personality. It made sense that this person would, um, you know, be a self-preservationist, which means that they try and create all the resources and the sanctuary around them to be at their best, um, you know, physically to make sure that all their needs are met. And then beyond that, um, how this person was also a perfectionist. And so the needs being met meant that um, the the kitchen, for example, would be clean, but it would also have all the gadgets necessary for health and wellness. So there would be a lot of health and wellness supplements in the cupboards. Um, there would be blenders and things like that to, to make smoothies, uh, perhaps juicers as well, um, you know, things like that. And then on top of that, what the garage would look like, I said that the um, the garage was probably a home gym with all the little bits and pieces thrown in there, like a squat rack, you know, plates and dumbbells and things like that. And the person was like, how do you know this? And it's like, well, as a self-preservationist, you're looking after the safety security of your body, making sure that you have everything that you need to ensure your physical survival and physical comfort as well. The perfectionism comes in and the attention to detail comes in and that all was there. And so when we talk about you know, what motivates you? What really drives you? You need to be able to unpack your hard wiring for two very important reasons. Reason number one is to make sure that the goals that you're going for aren't just goals that come out of an automated system that was developed by someone under the age of 25. Someone under the age of 25 is going to automate things in a particular way. It's that simple. Okay. As an adult, you need to take stock of what you want to create in the world and perhaps what you valued growing up and how that serves or doesn't serve you. But you definitely need to get out of that idea of, oh, because I valued this when I was you know, zero to 25 years old, that means that I need to direct the next 60 years of my life to this thing. No, not at all. Not at all. We develop personalities and our experiences change us. And I think that our values tend to shift somewhat as well. Our focuses tend to shift. And it's very important that we challenge those goals and the assumptions that we're making about our perception of the world. So that's the first point is number one is what are you trying to reach for? And make sure you're not reaching for it out of some kind of conditioned response from when you were a kid. And then number two, what do you default to under stress? Remember, if the brain is an automated machine and under stress, you learned to behave in certain ways when you were zero to 25 in order to um, show your value, your worth, defend your value, your worth, make sure that you get that safety security either from caregivers or from your tribe. You know, we need to make sure that you don't behave like that in professional environments, that you understand that your automated responses that came out of your brain were short-term solutions. And right now, we are looking for longer-term solutions. You are looking for longer-term value adds as well as longer-term relationships to define you. So in that way, 
we're talking about the two ways that you can actually do this. Number one, challenge your values. What do you think is important? What do you think is a problem with the world? What history do you have in relation to those problems or to those things that you value? Where does it come from? Why do you need these things to be real and true? Why? And looking at it from an outside perspective, so perhaps giving yourself some advice as a third-person perspective. You know, imagine your future self sitting there asking yourself questions, honestly questioning, why do you need this to be true? Do you think that this is a long-term fulfilling strategy for you? Or is this a short-term fix for your needs? And then the second thing is obviously like, look who you are under stress. When you are under stress, how are you responding? Is this the way that you want to be responding to stress? Do you feel proud of how you've responded to stress or somehow ashamed, embarrassed, frustrated with yourself? If those are true, those are clear indications that you are at a place where you need to examine your default stress responses. And that's why. I always have an issue with coaches that try and take you away from your quote unquote suffering. Suffering is absolutely looking at a situation and seeing, I don't want this outcome. I want this outcome. And it's about this idea of having a preference rather than just establishing what is, and then what is preferred, what is something that is more fulfilling and looking at it like that, you can say, okay, cool. Under stress, I respond like this. I would prefer to respond like that. Great. Now that you've made that decision, let's start working on it versus distracting ourselves away from something that's painful. Just look at it and be like, yeah, I experience pain when I respond like that. And that's okay. I'm not trying to run away from it. Let's run to it. Let's unpack it so that I can short circuit it and not use it again and automate the, the, the stress responses that I choose. And so it's always about choice. It's always about empowerment. How do I take control of the mechanism that is the mind? And a lot of the time, we can actually just feed it what it wants if we learn to interpret the signals correctly. So once again, this comes back to one of my values, which is what is the signal amongst the noise? The signal amongst the noise. And let me finish up by saying this morning, I went for a run and I was thinking about this a lot. Because for me, I'm trying to run, I'm trying to increase my runs at the moment, and I watch my heart rate creep up. And I know there's two things that I can do to make my heart, you know, my runs more efficient, which is my running efficiency, keeping the same pace, making sure I'm not picking my legs up too, too much. So it saves a little bit more energy and it, it, um, it saves my heart rate from kind of going higher, but then also moderating my breathing and making sure my breathing isn't elevating my heart rate either. But both of those things are techniques for efficiency. And I like the idea of taking the inefficient route because in the long term, it's going to actually give you better gains. So if my running form isn't strong or my breathing technique doesn't help me keep my heart rate down, that means that every run, my heart rate is pretty much redlining where it is. And that's where the adaptation is that I want. So once again, what do you want? You know, and in that run, I found myself trying to moderate my my heart rate from going high because I didn't want that because that feeling is exhaustion. It's you know, it's heavy breathing. It's it's all kinds of stuff that that isn't necessarily 
nice to deal with in the moment. But as soon as I realized what I was doing, again, my motivation changed to, oh, I want a short-term solution to, oh, no, I want the long-term solution. So I started relaxing how I was thinking about my breathing, how I was thinking about my running, and just focusing on enjoying the feelings of pushing to my threshold and knowing what it feels like to get to the threshold. And so I stopped looking at my heart rate and I started just looking at my pace. What's my pace? Let me try and keep this pace because that ultimately is my goal, to run at at a similar speed. That's it. So if you are interested, you are more than welcome to click on the link below. All right. The link below will take you to a website where you can purchase the Enneagram assessment. This is the number one personality assessment that I have found that actually allows you to see what is your hard wiring. Okay. The assessment is 60 bucks. It's not my company. It is from a company called Inner Compass 9, mapping your personality so that you have a personal compass to navigate your personality. So if you would like me to do the reading for you, you are more than welcome to request that as well. Um, And you'll find all the details in the links below. But by no means should you feel that you have to do this in order to challenge yourself. Remember those two questions. Challenge the things that you think are important in life. It's important that um, I achieve X, Y, and Z. I think that people should be doing this, 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 and that. Whenever you say shoulds, musts, needs to, that's a good indication that these are strong beliefs that you you absolutely, you know, they, you need them to be true for you to um, find your sense of value in the world. That's because it came from your hardwired responses. And then number two, what is your default stress response? Look back in time to where you've responded to stress in ways that you're not proud of. You're perhaps ashamed. You're perhaps embarrassed. You know. And if you are proud of how you responded to stress, may I ask you if you were using an automated response from under the age of 25 or a response that you've practiced over the age of 25? And I would suggest that if it's under the age of 25 and you're proud of it, it still might be something that other people around you actually aren't um, appreciative of. And so I would, I would check yourself with a little bit of social feedback, you know, ask people around you how you respond to stress. Because I think ultimately with the idea of the social mind is that your mind isn't just in you, but it's also in your reflections in the people around you. And so check that out as well. My name's Justin. Until next time, I want you to think slower, enjoy Enjoy thinking about it. Unpack your perspectives so that you can elevate yourself and be the captain of your own ship. Captain, my captain. Ciao for now.